And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. This is the Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL executive of the year, Randy Muir. Welcome to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here from The Athletic, along with Randy Mueller, our two-time GM, executive of the year. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Mike. Looking forward to draft uh, talk this week again. It seems like we've been talking about the draft forever, but it's finally upon us. Yeah, we got so much more to talk about, you know, with the draft. You're right. It is just about here. We're going to talk about, you know, just a little bit bigger picture about the importance of players fitting in their new teams. You know, we always see the rankings and all that, and who's the most talented, but you got to get the fits. I think it's an underrated aspect. You have brought that up. You think it is. That's why it's on the menu today. And I look forward to discussing that. We had some fun yesterday, Randy. Cal Shanahan, Brian Gutenkoos, these guys trying to talk <laughs> about their quarterbacks. <laughs> we, debate, we may even lead this thing off with that. But, um, you know, I think there were a couple of Vegas win totals that got our attention. We had a couple of retirements. Alex Smith, Sean Lee stepping out of the game. Um, but first, with this draft, we know it's going to start Thursday. We know it's going to start at 5 p.m. Pacific, where you and I are, 8 p.m. Eastern, where a lot of other people are, and in between. But... I think it's interesting, you know, to sort of step back from uh, projecting stuff that's largely unknowable, how this guy's going to do three years from now when you take him 37th in the draft or 25th in the draft or whatever. There's some teams that have already made draft picks, that have already made moves. And the Orlando Brown trade from Baltimore to Kansas City is one of those moves where the Chiefs, there were a bunch of picks going back both ways that could sort of muddy what happened. But really, they had the 31, the 31st overall pick Kansas City did. They don't have it anymore. And they draft at number 31 overall, effectively, Orlando Brown, a left tackle. I joke that this prevents Andy Reid from taking another running back in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what they were doing internally, <laughs> keeping yeah. Andy away from something he couldn't resist. But Protecting against himself, yeah. Yeah, but I like this move. What do you think? Yeah, I do too. I think it's a really good move. I think there was some competition for Orlando Brown as well. When teams finalized their board, and it wasn't until then they could kind of figure out where the where the chips were going to fall, right? And, and and you mentioned it, Kansas City picks 31 or did pick 31 in the first round. Rather than sit there and take the fifth or sixth best tackle that might come to them at the end of the first round, they elected to take Orlando Brown Jr., who has 40-some starts already, right? And he's 24 years old. Um, it just made more sense to them. I, I, I wrote a little column on this uh, uh, for, for one of my blog posts last week that said, Andy Reid, Brett Veach bought themselves some sleep aid because I was lucky in my time in the NFL and having Walter Jones at left tackle and then Willie Rofe when I was with the Saints. I slept good on Saturday nights. There was no problem. I knew the backside was covered of our quarterback. 
they haven't had that same feeling, at least for the last few months, since they blew it up really after the Super Bowl, they had to be nervous about that spot. Now they can kind of sleep easy, right? They, they think they've solved their left tackle. I guess the only thing I, I would have been a little bit critical of them was, and maybe this has been done, but I would like to have seen a new deal in place. I know you have some numbers that maybe not, you know, make it uh, a, a slam dunk that a contract should come with a player of this ilk, um, because he only has one year left. But I think one thing a, a contract extension does, not only does it secure the player, it gives you um, a firm blueprint to plan from your cap in future years. So, there, you know, maybe they have an agreement. Maybe there's some parameters in place, but we'll see. But I definitely like the trade from Kansas City's yeah. from Kansas City angle for a few reasons. Yeah, I think that was the only knock for me, too, was, okay, there's no deal in place. But look, th- that's why I didn't think necessarily he was going to be traded, because here's somebody who has played some left tackle, but he may really want to go towards the top of that market, right? And and I think what the Chiefs had to figure out, or at least maybe convey to him, was, you know, hey, that's not how it works. You're not a free agent. You know, you haven't played five years of left tackle. There's a little bit of give and take for both sides here, right? I mean, we, we're going to give you the ability to play left tackle, which you want, and we're going to pay you well. So I think that they wouldn't do this deal if they felt like he was going to be a holdout, right? I think there would be some conversations already, um, that sort of thing. Now, it's really not a bad deal, even if he, they don't do a deal. And here, here's why. We talked about this a little bit with other players. But he's going to make $3.4 million this year. Well, that's nothing for a starting left tackle. But if you franchise him after that, the franchise number was $14.5 million for offensive linemen. Let's just say it makes a big jump, goes to $17 million. You basically got two years and $20 million, okay? That's the 17th highest paid left tackle in the league. If you tag him again... He had $20 million on top of that. It's three years, $40 million. That's $13 million a year. So they sort of know what the worst case scenario is. This thing gets sideways. We can't work out a deal. Hey, you got to tackle for three years and $13 million a year, and he's 24, 25, 26 years old. I'm signing up for that. That's our worst case scenario. So I, I, I think even the criticism of the deal isn't that bad of a criticism. Yeah, I think you're right. The deeper dive makes sense to me a little bit in that that 3.38 or 3.4 million he makes this year is a great leverage point for the Chiefs. Yeah. You know, because he has to consider a deal at some point for this year because he doesn't want to play for 3.4 million this year. It doesn't make any sense. So there's probably a deal in there. And and I would be surprised if there weren't some parameters discussed before the deal was agreed to. Um, Just because they they did the kid a favor. He wanted out of Baltimore. He wanted to play left tackle. And guess what? You're coming to the Chiefs, right? With you're going to be protecting the blind side of the best player in the league. So it's a good move. It's a good career move, I think, for Orlando Brown, without a doubt. So I think he would be willing to to work out some kind of a deal for the long term. Oh. And again, it's just from a planning standpoint for the Chiefs. They've got to plan their cap the next four or five years. Maybe this does it uh, you know, in time, but uh, we've seen other teams trade for players in the last year of a deal, not sign a, an extension, and then the player has all the leverage. Who yeah. knows how the Jamal Adams thing is going to play out in Seattle, but he clearly has the leverage in that deal. They gave two first-round picks. They have to have this guy under contract. So there, there, yeah. there's a lot of parameters. Uh, the, the one other angle on the Chiefs deal for me is when you consider the draft picks that they gave up, you know, in, essentially they slide from 31 back into the second round because they got a second round pick from the Ravens with Orlando Brown. So they kind of slid back around. Let's just look at it that way. And then they gave two other picks this year. In a draft this year 
that is low on depth, in my opinion, high on question marks, high on um, uh, risk, high on on, uh, risk reward, uh, maybe. You know, there's just a lot of reasons to to not necessarily hang on to these mid to late round picks this year, in my opinion. So they use that as part of the capital to get a sure thing in Orlando Brown. I think that's good strategy. I think it's a good philosophy. Another, you know, uh, a mark in, in the column of why I like it for the Chiefs. Absolutely. You know, one of the parallels I saw here, too, was just, you know, with offensive linemen, sometimes you add mentality to your team, you know. And, um, you know, this guy's a huge Big man, yeah, big, big man. dude with a little bit of nastiness to him, and I, I, I know when you go back in Andy Reid's history, you know when he got to Philadelphia, um, they signed John Runyon. He wasn't the greatest tackle in the world, you know. I mean, he was good. I'm not saying he wasn't good, but you know, he wasn't Jonathan Ogden or Orlando Pace or something like that. But he was a mean sob man. He he gave you an edge that the other guys didn't really want to hang around those piles, or you know, they they just. If someone was going to take a shot at uh, Donovan McNabb, well, guess what? Mr. Runyon, you got to go see Mr. Runyon, and you don't want to see him. And I think, yeah, yeah, and I think uh, when, you know, I I know Brad Childress, when he left Andy Reid to go to Minnesota, you could say they, you know, spent too much for a guard, but they got Steve Hutchinson. I mean, he's a glass eater. You know, he, he, I remember a story, they, they went, and did uh, camp practices with the Chiefs when they had Minnesota, in Minnesota. There's a fight, and he's driving, diving over the pile, and you know who's in. You got saltiness on your team. So yeah, he was a culture yeah. guy. They're, they do bring some yeah. culture. Culture guys. So I feel like this offseason, you know, you could. I'm not going. I wouldn't criticize this deal. You're getting a left tackle, no. but you know the Joe Thune deal. You know, is sort of a geez, you're paying a guard. But I think they got some mentality up front right. that makes them a little different. You agree? The, 100% I agree. The other thing, if you take it even, you're thinking a step further, in Orlando Brown, you mentioned the big guy. They get a 6'8", 350-pound man that covers up defenders, right? Just yep. just picture him covering up smaller guys. Clyde Hilaire, the, the, the little running back, he doesn't need big holes. You know, yeah. they cover up a defender, the little guys buy him before they know it. So yeah. I just think the style of, of, of his blocking skill set in Orlando Brown and his size is a good fit for a smaller back the way they run the ball in Kansas City. It's not necessarily a power, shove it down their throat type uh, philosophy up front, but it is a bigger, massive, kind of an oozing cover-up uh, defender yeah. type type skill set that Orlando brings. And I think that's a good fit and probably a lot of the reason that, that Andy agreed to the deal. Yep. So they get good positional value left tackle. They get they check the box of young player, yep. and even in worst case scenario, they have a structure for a contract that they can live with. So, I would hope so. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even if they it was the tag, it wouldn't be all that fun. But it's be thirteen million a year. You know, you, yeah, it's they can at least they can plan for that now. So Definitely we like doable. that deal. the The other ones that weren't as recent, but teams that have already made selections in this draft, at least with high picks. Seattle has Jamal Adams, so they got him for the 23rd pick this year and a first-rounder next year. Let's just call it the 23rd pick again, mm-hmm. depending where Seattle finishes. I think there's a fourth, yeah, there's a third-rounder in there as well. You didn't like the fact that they are over a barrel from a contract standpoint, but you weren't that worried about it early on either. Just They had time. I like Jamal Adams a lot. Yeah. Um, I think I'm okay with it for Seattle. A lot of people aren't, but what do you think? 
Yeah, I agree with that. I, I don't um, love the fact of what he's going to cost, and I think Seattle's going to have to pay it. I think it'll be fun to watch this strategy, how it plays out, because this might be one of those deals where Jamal Adams does enter the free agent market and then comes back to Seattle, and that's risky really? for Seattle's case, just because I don't think anybody's going to pay this guy. I don't think, you know, if, if his demands are the 17, 18 million a year that Bobby Wagner makes, I think that's going to be a struggle for him to get that even in the open market because seem, t- teams view him as a box safety or even a wheel linebacker. Uh, so there's some, there's some gray area there as to what he really is. But what, what I think he is, and I think you would agree, he might be their best player on defense, especially in this scheme. I just think he's more valuable for Pete in Pete, you know, Pete's scheme in Seattle than he would be on the street to somebody else. So I don't know how it's going to work out money-wise, but I I think there's a chance that he does dip his toes into free agency, kind of gets a feel for the market, and then Seattle comes back and says, hey, we're going to top anything you can get, but let somebody else maybe either negotiate the deal or be the bad guy in delivering the message that you're not worth $18 because I wouldn't pay that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way I kind of see their their defense, I bristle when people say, "Well, he's just a he's just a box safety." This guy affects the game. Kyle Shanahan mentioned him in his press conference yesterday. I think he plays with a ferocity that's hard to find in the league. Uh, hard to find it almost in any era. It's hard to find a guy like this, but especially now. And I yeah. think he's a game plan consideration for the opponent every week. I would have a hard time. You're you're a much better poker player, Randy. The money would be going across the table for me to you. <laughs> but to, to have the guts to let him reach the market, because I think when you do that, sometimes you lose guys, right? They feel disrespected. Maybe. It's risky. There's no doubt about it. I, yeah. do, I, I know how he's valued, though, with other teams. Yeah. And yes, he might be a game plan awareness guy, like Kyle Shanahan said. But I also know he's a game plan awareness guy to match up a guy yeah. on him in coverage, too. And people see that. So, you know. So it, then it, how can we like the deal for giving up two firsts? Because I think in this scheme, he's special. Yeah. He, and yeah, he yeah. is a good player for Pete Carroll. I don't think he's yeah. the same going to the Ravens or going to the Packers. I yeah. you know, I just don't think he's the same player there. I think in this scheme, he, he's a really good player, and it's really a good fit. Yeah. What I see sort of happening for them is K.J. Wright is finding out in the marketplace that he's not going to be valued. Well, there you go. Wants, That's what right? I'm talking about. Yeah. In this scheme, though, he's really good. In, in Yeah, he's, he's, really, he's really good. But what I'm saying is I think there's a... I think there's an evolution of this defense um, to where uh, Jamal Adams is going to get the money that's been going to Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. I think those guys are, even though K.J. Wright had a good season last year, Bobby Wagner's still a good player. I think we're down to the last of this and the last couple of years for Bobby Wagner probably at that price. And then uh, I don't even know if K.J. Wright comes back, but no one else is signing him. If he does, he probably comes back cheaper. So uh, the safety money, I think 16 would take you to the top of the market, even though he's not, he's kind of not a safety and kind of is a safety. If you're mm-hmm. Seattle, would you go to that? I mean, um, why not? I think it's a lot of money, but I think Seattle has to do it. I yeah. really do because they gave two first round picks. So we're back yeah. to trading yeah. two first round picks for a guy that, you know, has a year or two left on a contract. And, and I probably would have done it the same. I don't mind Seattle giving up the picks to get the guy. I just think determining his value is going to be a little yeah. tricky. That's all. Yep. Yep. I'm with you on that one. Our, our other team that's already made a selection in this draft, at least near the top, is the Rams. They have Jalen Ramsey. They gave up a 2020 first round pick that wound up becoming the LSU defensive end, Kayla Vaughn Chasen. They have, uh, I think they took him 20th last year. 
they have the twenty. They gave the twenty fifth overall pick also this year and the hundred thirty pick. They get Jalen Ramsey, a top five talent. If you add up all the draft capital that went both ways, it's about the fifth pick in the draft, probably, arguably. So uh, they have to pay him a higher price. I guess they couldn't have the fifth pick in this draft. <laughs> they wouldn't be picking right. there. Right. But w- but in theory, would you rather have the fifth pick in a draft or or would you rather have Jalen Ramsey on your team already and be paying him a ton of money? Well, I'd probably rather have Jalen Ramsey for sure. I mean, he's going to be better than a rookie coming from anywhere at any point. But the price tag is what's debatable. You know, what they gave up. They clearly don't value first-round picks, right? Can we agree on that? They haven't made one in like (laughs) five. How long? Yeah, so that's that's really a given. They don't value first-round picks. Um, I think the coach there thinks the scheme really matters. Now, the defensive coordinator has left and now the head coach of the Chargers. So we'll see how that defensive scheme evolves a little bit without Staley. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, Jalen Ramsey is has been a big get for them. He's been a positive impact, I think, for them. Um, he's putting put their defense really over the top in L.A. So it's hard to dispute that he wasn't worth what they get, what they gave for him. Um I'm probably okay with it at the end of the day. Again, you, you're giving up a lot, but when you don't value first-round picks, you don't think you're giving up much. So uh, it's probably a good a good move for the Rams based on their philosophy, that's for sure. At least they're all in on it. They believe in it because they did it again this year. Yeah, I think it's just a really fascinating way to look at this if you're one of those teams picking in the back half of the first round. We've always yeah. heard evaluators say, golly, sometimes that back half of the first round is indistinguishable from the whatever, the a lot of the right. second round, right, Randy? And so, no doubt. Yeah. You know, you, you do give up that ability to maybe hit on a TJ Watt and have him under contract for a cheap deal right. and have an elite player, but those are few and far between at that stage. Are you, you know, do you feel like as an evaluator, you can find that guys because Kevin Colbert does. I mean, he. Yes, I do think you can. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a really good point. And I hearken back to one of my years with the Saints. We didn't have a first round pick, and we picked the first. We had the first pick in the second round, and we tried like heck to move up in that first round uh, with that pick in the second round. Never could make it happen. Ended up at the end of the day being better off just sitting where we did, and we picked a kid named Darren Howard who was oh, yeah. eighth eighth on our board eighth. So we got a top 10 player off our board in the second round. He went on to set the rookie sack record with the Saints and was a really good player for a long time. So I think the key to those deals are, and for these teams that pick at the bottom or that you can mix pick 25 with the third or fourth pick in the second round, is they have to have convictions for their evaluations. If they they have conviction that they have their board stacked correctly, they're going to get somebody to fall down into the second round that's in the top 15 or top 20 on their board. I don't think there's any question because nobody stacks their board the same, right? So if they really believe in their evaluations, that could be why these teams are confident in giving up those late round picks and then finding a way with that second round pick to maybe move up a little bit higher and they still end up obtaining a a top 15 or top 20 guy on their board. I hope that makes sense. It, it does. You know, I think we do hear a lot of people, though, say, well, you're, a lot of teams are fooling themselves if they think they can, you know, their evaluation of the 20th player picked is so strong that they should move up to 20 to get him because he's so much better than the guy at 25. Do you think, how many teams do you think can do that? And, and it, uh, just that, do you think a lot of teams can do that? Well, I think teams 
some teams are better at evaluating than others. There's no yeah. doubt in my mind. Yeah. It's not a crapshoot, and and yes, it's not an exact science. So some teams are better at it. I just don't think you have to go up there anymore. That's red, and, and we hear about it all the time, maybe in circles, media circles. You need to go up and get that guy. Really, you don't. There might be four or five guys there that you have rated the same. One of them is going to fall to you. So you have to also have some patience and some conviction for the board and, and the integrity of what you've done for the last 10 months to, to line these players up. So I don't think you have to move up to get those players necessarily. No, but I think now the, a lot of the media says, oh, you should just keep trading back because you just get more <laughs> yeah. picks and, and you, know, you get more darts, more lottery tickets. I think there's some truth to that. You know, I think there's, I'd rather have a lot of picks than, especially if you're a good evaluator, right? You're going to be able to find some. No doubt. Did you trade down a lot when you were a GM as a rule or? Never as a rule. Yeah, Yeah. but it was always available. And I think what happens is when you do all of your research and intel and mock drafts and you end up coming back to a player or two that you think is going to be there at your pick and you just don't love it. You just don't love it. You want to love that first round pick. You want to be all in on that first round pick. And then when you, it keeps showing up that, oh, it's this guy again. Oh, it's that guy <laughs> again. You know, you, you're looking to trade out then. And, and at that point, it's always, it's not as easy to make a deal as some of the experts on the outside think it is. You have to have somebody willing to come up. So I've worked harder, way more times in way more drafts to trade down and haven't been able to than I was actually able to. Now, some drafts you might be able to trade down two or three times. I know one year in Seattle, we traded down two times and still picked Pete Kendall. That was the guy we wanted up top. But there was always a grouping of four or five players at each level of of option that we had to trade back. So we were going to get the same kind of player whether we pick 17th or 21st or 23rd, whatever it ends up. So I just think it's everybody's cop out is, oh, just trade back, just trade back. It just, it's, it's not realistic. You can't always trade back. You have to have uh, made the pick in your own mind as a worst case scenario. And that's a bad feeling sometimes, even for the picker, even for the team. It's not always a great feeling. You don't always love the pick you end up with in the first round. You just can't create players. And that's happened several times. I'm smiling because Dave Gettleman said, God dang it, I've tried for 15 years to trade back and never found one. And he's never traded back once as a general manager. Isn't that hard to believe? It never well, won. yeah. He also said he doesn't want to get fleeced either. So that that made me chuckle a little bit in that I think it is supply and demand, but I also yeah. think you have to have conviction on the valuations you've done and you can't be tied to the trade chart or the draft yeah. value chart, whatever these guys use. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Okay, so I've changed the order here. We, I, I want really want to get to these comments by Gudenkust and and Kyle Shanahan. I mean, I think it sort of set you know set the media ablaze yesterday. And I, <laughs> I, you know, for those who you know might be wonder why the heck these guys are even talking is yeah. there's kind of some parameters and requirements that your coach GM have to be available at certain points during the off season to the media, which I'm a member of the media. I'm very much in favor of that. But sometimes <laughs> you get comical results, and I think. Let's start with Kyle Shanahan because they're going to be uh, picking third in this draft. But Kyle Shanahan obviously didn't, on his own, would not have called a press conference. He didn't want to have to go out there and do this. He was almost like, with his comments, which, by the way, will let, uh, I'm sure everybody saw it by now, he basically was asked about Jimmy Garoppolo, whether he could be, would be on the roster Sunday, whether he could guarantee it. And instead of just you know, kind of making a classy answer, he said, well, uh, I can't guarantee you that we're even gonna, anyone will even be alive on Sunday. And here we go. What do you think, Randy, about that? You know, I just I shake my head. I, I, two things with regard to the 49ers. The move they made to get up to three, and ever since then, and, and it's probably me. I'm not smart enough, but I can't connect all the dots of what they're doing. I really can't. And maybe that's their plan is to confuse people. It's all subterfuge, you know. It's like a Kyle Shanahan play call. He's got misdirection over here. Right? I guess, you know, you would never go up unless you knew who you were going to pick. By doing that, he said, yeah, we had one guy, one guy that we wanted. Now then the process took us into saying there's three guys that we might be okay with. Now there's five guys that we like them all, you know, total garbage. All of it was garbage. I just, it's one of the reasons I kind of tuned out all of this kind of talk at some point during the process, because you just can't process what they're saying. It makes no sense to me. It made me dumber for listening to that press conference. I, I learned absolutely nothing. I don't think he said anything. And the other, the other part of it, though, that did bother me was almost the degrading of Jimmy Garoppolo. This is a guy that took you to the Super Bowl, that's given you everything he has, and you don't have the respect enough to treat him um, publicly in a way that that kind of uh, I think is going to I think it hurts Kyle in the locker room. I'll be honest with you. I think some of the leaders, some of the players in that locker room just kind of shake their head and they don't like that. I, I think he kind of it was disingenuous. He kind of just disparaged the guy, you know, instead of treating him with respect and saying what how much we do like him and what he's done. Absolutely. For us, it just didn't it didn't set well with me, the tone um, and, and the, the the lack of. Uh, respect that he showed his quarterback. It would be so easy for him to say, hey, look, I'm not going to get yeah. boxed into hypothetical this or that or something. We all know a lot could happen. It's a fluid situation. We love Jimmy. I mean, this guy took us to a Super Bowl. We think right. he could take us back to one. Now, look, the high road. Yeah. as an organization, we got to put ourselves in position for the future. And we've done that here. And we right. may be able to have it both ways. So, hey, if, hey, folks, stay tuned Sunday. It's going to be exciting. Um, you know, no guarantees for anybody here. But we love Jimmy, and that hasn't changed. Um, you know, that's all you have to say. Yeah. He might need that Dale Carnegie course of how to win friends and influence people, right? Back in the 70s, <laughs> that was hot that all of our parents took, that Dale Carnegie. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Kyle might need some of that. And, 
It just yeah. it gave, left a bad taste in my mouth. I didn't like that. I didn't yeah. like the way he treated him. And then, yeah. you, you know, I, I just, I, I couldn't follow. I can't follow their line of thinking with everything they've done for the last month in the trade up and, and all their well, um, movements, some rumors, some, I don't know what they're going to do. I'll be honest with you. I think some, none of it makes sense to me. And, and I'm just hopeful that by going up to three, they really see a talent that they can develop and can get uh, them to the next level. Because if they've gone up for a panic in that we've pushed our needs way above the value of these players, I think that's a problem for the 49ers going forward. So that's the yeah. doubt I have right now. I think that's what they, they have done, though. I th- I've always seen this with them as, as a two-step process. I, I think they have separated the evaluation from the player from where do we have to go to get a quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's what it just feels like to me because yeah. there's no like we talked there's no consensus in a building on the the guys they're going to have being nope. being that high. I think they said, look, okay, we got to get one because we can't trust Jimmy to, anymore, right. and that's fine. So where do we going to get? They can't get to eight. They can't get to nine because then you're just going to get jumped and get left with whoever. You know, right. they they had to get to three to ha- to have a chance at somebody, and so they paid what they did, whether or not that player's worth the third pick. That's just where they think they have to go to get him. I think that's clearly what it is. And now it's going to be on Kyle Shanahan to, I think it's going to be Mac Jones. I'm not overthinking that either. And I think it's going to be him to prove to everybody that he's smarter than them. And he's done that. Okay. He's done that to his career already. He went yeah. to the Super Bowl with Jimmy. So. I guess we'll see. I don't know. I yeah. just, yeah. I find it hard to believe. And maybe it's just because it left me with a bad taste. But yeah. now, and I, I know Kyle Shanahan's a good coach and, and I agree yeah. with it. But I don't think he's ever been the guru of quarterbacks in the history of the league like he's being made out to be yeah. by whatever he says is is the gospel. You know, I just I don't see it yeah. that way. And time will tell. We all could use a little humble pie at times. And maybe some of that uh, is coming. Yeah. But but hey, I, I'm rooting for him. Hopefully they get the guy that fits best for them and, and they can move yeah. on. Yep, absolutely. Our other quarterback comments that were interesting were Brian Gutekunst, the general manager of the uh, Green Bay Packers, who obviously got himself into a kind of a tricky situation here by trading up to select Jordan Love when he already had Aaron Rodgers. We've talked about this where, you know, you think, hey, that that actually helped them get more from Aaron. He seems to play better sometimes with a chip on his shoulder, and he certainly got one now. They haven't done a new contract, though, and so Gutekus was asked about Aaron Rodgers and the quarterback situation. Could something happen? And he said, Aaron's our guy. For the, for, for the foreseeable future, we've got several contracts we're going to have to look at, and his is one of those here in the coming months. What's your takeaway from what the GM said there, and would you have handled it differently? Well, he was just buying time, in my opinion. He's not going to commit one way or another. I think their actions have committed where they're at. They didn't redo his Aaron's deal. They haven't pushed out any money. They haven't uh, done anything to create space with Aaron's contract to add to this team. So two things. I think I, I've said from the start, it sounds personal in that building with Aaron and whether it's him or somebody else, I don't know. But I think it has gotten to that point. They clearly aren't going to give in on this deal. They want to control the, the the narrative of the end of Aaron's time with Green Bay. And Aaron would like to control it. Naturally, every player would. So that's the battle. I think it's still ongoing. Yep. Um, I think the way Aaron played kind of changed the whole landscape. Um you know, when you're the MVP of the league, you get treated with a certain amount of cachet and respect. I don't think Green Bay is, has done that, and I don't think they're willing to. So they're going to ride it out, in my opinion, this year and just see what happens. But they want control of his exit 
and and that's hard and it's it's a distraction without a doubt. I think it's going to be more of a distraction. I would have loved, and I've said this before, loved them to create a little space with Aaron's contract, which would have, you know, helped sell this to him, which would have um, allowed them yep. to add another player to in free agency when the pool was deep. And that never happened. So I think the ship has sailed, I'll be honest. I just think Brian was probably buying time to get off the stage and not have to talk about it. I didn't really take much from it. So do you think then they're just basically waiting for Aaron to falter at some point so they can move on comfortably? Like he maybe he gets injured next year or has a down year. What do they do if he's in the MVP conversation this after this next season? Do they just keep riding it? I think it's hard, but it's like they're asking him to prove it year to year, prove it game to game. I mean, you're talking about the MVP of the league and what he's done, but now you're still asking him to prove it. I don't know that that's a great message. I mean, I understand what they're doing. They've they've made a business decision here that they think they can um, pass the baton from one quarterback to another, like they did with Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. They've elected to, to go this route again. I mean, we'll see. I think there's going to be more eyes on preseason games in Green Bay this year than any other city in the world, and it's because they everybody wants to see what Jordan Love is all about. No one's seen him now for two years. In fact, if ESPN didn't show the clips of him getting drafted, you wouldn't even know he existed because there was no preseason games. There was no chance to evaluate him. I think that's what people want to see. And I think that's probably what Brian's looking to see before he has to either kick the can or make the next statement or move in the Aaron Rodgers mystery. Yep. No, I'm with you on that. Totally. I, I, I think that's just fascinating. I actually, frankly, enjoy it. I think Rodgers almost enjoys it. You know, I think he enjoys... Uh, I, he just enjoys the element of the drama, uh, the drama. Yeah. The drama. Yeah. And, the you know, he's, he, he gets that little smile on his face talking about the beautiful mystery, you know, or whatever of yeah, his no situation, doubt. I think. And yeah. maybe it does, maybe they do get better out of him for it. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe they will. So it could be, I think those two situations that we just discussed, San Francisco and Green Bay, couple those with, and I don't know if you saw this, what Terry Fontenot did yesterday in his interview in talking about Julio Jones. I don't. Did you see that, by the way? I did. Yeah, but yeah. refresh everybody for that because I know you know Terry from New Orleans. Yeah, you know Terry from and, New Orleans. And, yeah. and I thought the yes, he's asked uh, on a local affiliate or I don't know if it was Fox or whatever about the Julio Jones factor and how he's possibly a, a trade target for others. You know, he's getting up yeah. there in age. He obviously makes a lot of money. And how about the authenticity, I thought, in Terry's answers compared to what we just talked about in Green Bay and what we talked about in San Francisco? I thought Fontenot did an awesome job of explaining exactly, just being honest with people, just looking them in the eye and saying, hey, it's tough. Our cap's in a bad situation. I can't do anything about it. Julio's getting up there in age. He basically said all the things that we just had hoped Kyle had said in San Francisco or that Brian had said in Green Bay. And this is his first really swing at being a GM. I was just impressed with Terry Fontenot after listening to his description publicly of the Julio Jones situation. I thought it was outstanding and it made me really think of how polished this young kid is and how bright his future is in being a GM in the league. And so I was just impressed by it. That's all. Just, just the whole, the whole, you know, it wasn't a sales job at all. It was just all honesty and, and truth. But yet he he enlightened everybody. And I just yeah. thought his style was very believable. I want to add that situation to our to our list of, of stuff that we're hitting on because 
Uh, Atlanta is fascinating to me. They they, they kind of yeah. had to, not that they don't like Matt Ryan, but they sort of were, they were over the barrel from a cap standpoint, so they wrote him a check for $21 had million. Yep. You know, and that gives you the cap space, but it also, you know, makes him kind of your guy, yet you're picking fourth. You Shoot, Justin Fields could be there. Yep. Uh, you, you, you know, you have this owner in Arthur Blank who obviously is uh, involved and engaged and wants to win and, and has been frustrated in recent years by their inability to sort of keep pace. They've watched Tampa suddenly go from bad to winning it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they've had to deal with New Orleans in that division for a long time. Shoot, Carolina's been to a, a Super Bowl at one point along the way. Uh, if you're Fontenot, how do you sort of handle, handle this? If you straddle these two worlds of contending now with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones versus building for the future, you could do the splits here and be neither do you think they need to lean one way or the other? Would you be looking to move Julio Jones and get out from under Matt Ryan in a year and draft a quarterback, or would you be trying to you know load up for one more run? I would definitely be looking to move Julio Jones. That's a given, just based on okay. the fact of where their cap is. So I think everything he said, everything he believed in 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 the message that was sent yesterday is true, and I agree yeah. with it wholeheartedly. I think they're, like you said, in a great spot. I don't think they have to straddle anything other okay. than they have to have three or four steps in place. But I think they're, they're concrete steps. I think at four, if let's just say Justin Fields does fall to them, and they have the same conviction uh, that I would have in that role. I would pick him without a doubt because I do think they need to look forward. I don't think Matt Ryan's going to be there beyond a couple more years. And I think it's an ideal situation for Justin Fields to come into. Hey, we can sit this guy for a couple years behind Matt Ryan and teach him the ropes. I think he's a red shirt guy anyway. I think Justin needs some time. I think he'd be the perfect scenario. But let's say he's gone. Then you have two things. You do have a trade back that I think someone might want to come up to four to get a legitimate trade down uh, option. But I also think you have issues up front. And and no matter who your quarterback is, you need a tackle, in my opinion. I don't think Jake Matthews necessarily is worth all the money they're paying him. I think he's a he's a an average NFL tackle, but we know what that costs. I think you have a guy like Penny Sewell sitting there. I think the team building pillar that he can be would be hard for them to pass on. If the, if the trade comes to you and it's so much you can't uh, afford to not take the trade back and not go back too far, maybe you make it. But I think there's some, I like all those options, I guess is what I'm saying. So I think they're in a good spot. You could get the next tackle or a corner later, a yes. few picks later and, and really be uh, helping your team. So yeah, I, I think I, I agree with you. I think that's a really fascinating situation. I think just from talking to you, Justin Fields would be the only quarterback you would take it for. Assuming Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence are, of course, gone, you wouldn't necessarily do a Mac Jones or a Trey Lance at four. It would be, it would be Fields or Correct. our next option. Exactly right. And that, that, that makes it a little clearer for the listeners, without a doubt. I wouldn't take those other guys in this spot, but I would take Justin Fields. So yep. I think yep. the other guys are... Well, we've talked about Mac Jones. I think he has some physical deficiencies that make me a little nervous. And the Trey Lance thing is... Uh, and I'll steal a line from our compadre, Mike Lombardi said, he's a year away from being a year away, you know, yeah. and I would agree with that on Trey Lance. <laughs> I think he's, he's, he's a prospect per se with some upside, no doubt, but a lot more dots to connect with him. Yep. Yep. Okay. Let's get into the, the idea of fits on a team. Cause I think this is a, a good point that you've touched on before, but we sort of look at the draft and we and people have an idea, you should take this guy or that guy or this guy's the highest rated this or the highest rated that. Um, what do you mean when you say that fits are an underrated force during the draft? 
Well, I think at some point in the draft, the talent dwindles, right? Let's just say there's eight or 10 blue chip players and, and they could probably play in any scheme and fit anywhere for the most part. Once that uh, dissipates on a draft board, it's really about finding the best guys for us, for our team. And where I would always lean on my coaches is I want those guys to be involved in making the job descriptions for each of the positions that we're going to team build with, right? So they have to be intricately involved and we have to prioritize those characteristics so where that number one, this is the most important thing to number five, this is the least important thing. And if there's some fatal flaws in there somewhere, we're probably going to go a different direction as well. So I just think the fit in how you find and identify the skill sets of these first round players with what you're going to ask them to do when you get them, that's what determines if a guy's successful or not. Uh, outside that top 10. But I'll say this, it's a fine line between adding talent and adding uh, a player that fits your coach's scheme because the coaches, for the most part, are going to believe in their scheme more so than that the player makes a difference. You know, the old adage in San Francisco for years was, is it the system or is it Joe Montana and Jerry Rice? You know, they always had that internal battle. I remember reading and and hearing Joe Montana talk about it. Well, it's the system. It's the system. And he would say that tongue in cheek, like any player could do what we do. But there's some of that mentality that goes on with the coaches as well. They think it's their scheme. And I understand that. But I've always been of the oak that the better players we have, the better your scheme is going to work. So I think you've got to meld the two together. You need talent, no doubt. But I think when you're picking these players in the first three rounds of any draft, the talent is there. The ones that develop are the ones that you fit into your box, in your, your job description, the best. So it's it's really not about collecting really talent. It's about team building, and it's finding the best players that fit for us. You talked about that last week when we talked about the the, the vagaries of the edge rusher, right? And, yeah. and what does that mean for what type right. of system we're running? But you can also then see um, the cost of having frequent staff changes, right? A coordinator leaves or oh, giant. Uh, the, the coach gets fired after three years and then you're like, God, this guy just washed out. He's a bust, you know, and you yeah. go, whoa, wait a minute. Let's, it's, it's a combination of factors that contributes to the players becoming good or bad. It's not just whether they right. were a hard worker or had the talent. No. <laughs> Especially on defense. It's really important on defense when you change the schematic in from a 3-4 to a 4-3, you know, yeah. when the type of player you're looking for in that front seven varies depending on your staff and your scheme. And everybody says, oh, everybody plays a, a sub package now anyway, so they just need rushers to rush a passer. Well, I got news for you. They do play a lot of sub package now in the NFL, but those sub players still have to play the run because you get to a game like uh, with Kansas City or with Tampa Bay who, who may have um, – three and four wide receivers in the game, but they're still running the ball. They still have a run game package where you have to find players on defense that even though they are sub package players and rushers, they have to be able to get off blocks. They have to be able to read and play the running game. That's the difference. So I think it's, it is about fit. Um, at some point you do have to weigh talent with fit. I think Bill Belichick has built a dynasty in finding the right fit for his schemes. Uh, other teams probably could take note of that and have tried to duplicate it with little or no success sometimes because it takes discipline to stick with that plan and find exactly the guys that fit with you best, even though they might not fit elsewhere. Yep, absolutely. We had a three or four more sort of rapid-fire ones here for you here as we ran, head, head sort of down the home stretch of, of this edition of the Football GM Podcast. On our list, Randy, this week we've talked about you, – you've 
told everybody what you think that Justin Fields would be the last guy you'd take there in the in the in the top five. Um, well, wait a second. Now what? He'd be the third guy I'd pick. I mean, the la- yeah, the yeah. last guy. He'd be the okay. last, the, the last the quarterback last the you'd take three? in the top yeah. five. Yeah, I got yeah. you. Yeah, okay. he'd be the last guy you'd take. But we all know. I mean, shoot, I was looking at uh, at the betting odds the other day, yeah. and the over under of where those top five quarterbacks would go. I think the lowest one was like the over under was six and a half or seven yeah. or something. You know, so all of them could go in the top ten. If that Probably likely ha- Lee will, yeah, yeah, likely they will. If that happens. Now, in some years, there there may not be another quarterback drafted. Sometimes, even in the second round, you could go a really long time. Um, but we all know how people work at that position. You get desperate. Um, how loudly do you laugh when we see some of these other names pumped up, whether it's Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask, others, as potentially maybe even sneaking into the to the back half of the first round, as some of these teams who aren't going to be able to trade up still need quarterbacks. Yeah, I think that's definitely done on need. It's done on uh, herd mentality. It's done, um, I think, a lot by by the coaching influence at some point in the process. I think you might find coaches that, and let's face it, the coaches don't get to weigh in until late in the process. So a lot of what you hear about the risers and fallers, really that's coaches' views that leak out somehow, some way. Because the personnel guys are pretty much done. The board is built. They've put their input in before the coaches even get to look at it. So I think sometimes that's a coaching staff maybe wanting to be heard a little bit. And I always, I love the process and I love their input. I'd, I would get nervous when it got out and everybody else knew a little bit about how, of how we feel about these players, but I see it with quarterbacks all the time. I just think it's a, it's a little bit of a creation that some of these quarterbacks, whether it's a Kellen Mond or even a Kyle Trask or some of these guys uh, come up the board late in the process to, to sneak into the bottom of the first round. I think that's solely based on need. And I would worry about that because I think there are cleaner players in a normal draft that can come in and contribute right away rather than a, a later you know, thought of a la- uh, later in the process, thought of quarterback who enters in the equation as an option. So I don't know if that makes any yeah. sense, but I struggle with that. Uh, these guys that that come up, uh, these names late in 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 the in the conversation uh, when we've had ten months to stack them, and they don't belong anywhere near where we might end up with them. Yep. Before we get to our closing section, which is always asked the GM, we have a good question there. Couple retirements. Uh, in the NFL, and I'm going to say you called one of them. I mean, back in March we talked about uh, Alex Smith and Cam Newton, and I think you asked, have we seen these guys throw their final passes in the NFL? And it looks like Cam Newton has not thrown his final pass in the NFL probably. He's going to be with the Patriots this year. He may even be their week one starter. Uh, I thought it was interesting when Alex Smith retired that people were said, well, he's, you know, he's gotten to a point where he can – He's good with the game, and he can walk away. And I think I went back to what you were saying before. There's no one going to sign him. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> not with the medical information they all have. I mean, it's 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 a, it was nerve wracking to watch him last year, and that takes nothing away from this guy's career. I totally get it. I have the hundred percent respect for for what Alex has done. I just know, having been with one of these teams, that the medical information isn't going to allow you to sign him. You know, I don't think the Redskins would have had him had he not had some guarantees in his contract that really made it, 
you know, almost impossible to release him because of the money. And no other team's going to sign up for that. Plus, I just think it was time, right? Doesn't it feel right that he is able to walk away really and, and however it works out on his own, you know, fruition? I just like it when players see what we see in the front office and, and kind of what the fans see. It's all, it's all uh, complete in, in his package. There'll be a movie made of him. We all know that. The ending, how it comes out, will be a rosy ending. But I think Alex Smith probably would like to play played a couple more years if he could. Completely. You know, I, yeah, I think I he just had don't unfinished think, business. Yeah. Right. I just don't think it was an option for him. Yep. And I think this is the best. Yes. You know, I, I think he'll look back in 10 years and maybe maybe he'll realize this was the best. He's a competitor. You know, he wants right. to go play and show that he can still do it and keep right. improving. But I think this really went... For the injury he had, this went about as well as it could have. You know, he got yes. to be with, uh, you know, he got to even the coaching change to Ron Rivera. That that made it pretty good. Uh, he got a chance to go back out there. Heck, he, he had a winning record. Right. You know, they had a good defense, but I mean, he he won some games and and goes off into the sunset. Sean Lee's our, our other one stepping away from the game after eleven seasons with the Cowboys, and I think you could see this writing on the wall too. Just from an injury standpoint, good player, but it's a rough game. I think an undervalued player in my mind, I thought Sean Lee was a really, really, really good player. Very instinctive, always found the ball, made plays all over the field. I just don't think he ever got the credit because it seems like he's been hurt so often. So I, I, I feel for Sean Lee. I know his mind makes appointments. All of us, our mind makes appointments. Our body can't keep any longer. And that was the case with him. He just ran out of life in his body. He just couldn't give it anymore. But I thought that Cowboys defense started to fail when when Sean Lee started to repetitively get hurt. He was just a glue guy that you all you you always look for a guy like this. He was a great pick, um, second round pick who who really played like a first rounder. If he was healthy more in his career, would have been a perennial All Pro guy and, and possibly even a, a more accoladed player than that, if that's a word. So I I, I have a lot of respect for Sean Lee. I think he's um, eleven seasons of warrior mentality and that's going to be a hard one to replace in the locker room as well for Dallas you know they've got some decisions to make with Leighton Vanderish he's got a fifth-year option coming up he's a guy that's been hurt was hurt in college um, really was a less than one-year player at Boise State so they've had some injuries at this position they got the other kid from Notre Dame who's you know had the drop foot uh Smith. It's quite a collection of injured what? linebackers. I mean, I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, they got a bunch of it going on there. Here. Right. All those guys are playing the inside position in Dallas. And so at some point, they're going to have to shore up their troops as well. So uh, glad to see Sean go on his own, but sad to see him go because I don't think he ever was appreciated uh, like those of us that watch a lot of tape and saw the production he had. It's time for Ask the GM. All right, our Ask the GM question, Randy, this week. Were you a draft trade value chart guy? We've all seen that Jimmy Johnson trade chart. The numbers just sort of blur when you look at that thing. Um, you know, this pick's worth 500 points. This one's 300. We have yeah. to match it up to make sure. Uh, where are you on that? How did it come into play for you? I mean, I could go back and probably look at some of your trades to see if they matched up. Yeah. Let's say you. Um, I, I think it, it caught us all a little bit... Uh, by surprise when Jimmy came up with this because it was the first, right? And then I remember Tom Coughlin commissioning an Ivy League committee to kind of redo it in, in the 90s, so to speak, and, and that kind of updated the, the trade chart. Um, I have always been a supply and demand guy. I think some of that might be, you know, labeled as being old school, 
I'm for value. I'm for numbers. I'm for analytics, but I'm also for having conviction toward the players that you see and how it plays out. And having made trades to go up and down both directions, I've always found that the best deals I made were the ones where supply and demand dictated. If I was the only guy going up, I could make a pretty good deal if two or three teams were wanting to trade down and vice versa. If there were two or three teams looking to come up from my spot, I could probably go down and make a pretty good deal. So I just think you have to have convictions for the board, for your evaluations, for all of that. I think the trade chart may have hindered more deals over the course of its life than, than made them easier because nobody wants to be embarrassed. Nobody wants to, now everybody can, can equate to value of a trade based on numbers. So even if you know nothing about the draft, you can look at this and say, oh, these numbers say that the Eagles uh, you know, got fleeced because they fell back 10 spots and, and yeah. the value wasn't there. So I think it makes it harder to make deals, I'll be honest with you. I'm with you. And I do enjoy some of the new charts you know, that you see that are based on whatever, how the players in those slots are performed. I think there's, it's fun to look at and sort of evaluate the trades that way through three or four lenses, but I'm kind of with you too. It sort of depends what you're going up to get, right. uh, you know, how badly, you know, how you, how you have that player evaluated, what position is the player? You know, I, I feel yeah. like if you're going up to get a quarterback or something. I just think um, it's another element that it, it puts GMs up for criticism. And so they're a little hesitant to make moves because of it, because they don't want to be criticized. I never really, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say I didn't care, but I, I, I'm, I just, I really didn't care. I wanted to make the best deal for us. I would rather make a deal that was a little bit suspect and get us the right player at the end of it or a couple other chips than, than, you know, not make a deal because I was afraid to be criticized for it. Well, I think that's why some of these proposals within the league for rules changes don't make it is because the coaches don't want another thing they have to think about strategy wise that they can get criticized on. The criticism in the league is a big deal. And part of the reason why it is, is because the owners often don't really know. And so they're reading the analysis and the criticism, too, and they're coming at it from a little bit more of a fan standpoint. Right. Or an analytics standpoint, standpoint, for sure, yeah. Yeah, or an analytics standpoint, then then you might think. So it does affect people at the end of the day and their livelihoods and jobs. Randy, thanks for coming along. This was another good football GM podcast. Everybody, you can find Randy uh, at MuellerFootball.com. Really good stuff there. He's writing columns. And then uh, also at RandyMueller underscore on Twitter. I'm Mike Sando. Senior writer at The Athletic, you can find me on Twitter at Sando NFL, also on The Athletic. Everybody, have a great 2021 NFL draft. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.